Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome back again uh, Dr. Gary Burge. And uh, Gary and I had a great conversation. I appreciate your insights that we discussed in the Gospel of John. But as I mentioned at the end of the last podcast, Gary, um, I came familiar. I became familiar with you and your work um, when I picked up a copy of your book, Whose Land, Whose Promise. And I know that you've been very involved in uh, affairs, uh, the issue in the Middle East and the crisis in the Middle East. And kind of tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in this part of the world sure. and what's going on there. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Well, this uh, has a, it's kind of an odd sideways story for my getting involved. Um, I was just this uh, innocent kid uh, at the University of California, and uh, out of the blue, I was selected to be an exchange student and ended up in Beirut, Lebanon uh, during my junior year of uh, university. And so that was all just to be, it was supposed to be a really normal, regular, you know, exciting overseas experience, right? Except the Lebanese Civil War started while I was there. And, um, uh, and my whole dorm floor was Palestinians. Um, that led to, uh, well, there was open conflict in the city and cancels, canceled classes and all of that. And that meant that we traveled quite a bit just because we didn't want to go home. Uh, you know, hey, we were 21 years old. So, uh, yeah, so it ended up me going to Egypt and Syria and Jordan and Israel, Palestine and all of these places. So God really put in my own heart a, an interest in, a passion for this part of the world. And that led to me going back on numerous occasions as my career began as a college professor. Um, I was leading uh, historical geography trips all over the country with a colleague for a very long time. But while I was over there, um, uh, two unsettling things happened. Um, the first was there was an uprising uh, by the Palestinians in the late 1980s. And then there was another uprising in about 2000 that uh, sort of followed from the first. And, uh, and then I had some Christian pastors say to me, you know, um, you have been here so many times, but you're basically staying on the same trail. And I really challenge you, they said to me, to, to go off that tourist trail, they said, and, and go to someplace in what's called the West Bank and, and see what um, military occupation actually looks like. And, and what happened for me, I guess, through those years is that I realized that I, I was like watching a stage play with a very thick curtain behind it, and no one would permit you to ever go behind the curtain to see what was going on. So there were thousands of tourists in Jerusalem, and just, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 minutes away from where they were standing, there was a fierce military occupation going on in which Israel was uh, controlling um, quite, a few, uh, quite a few people, uh, you know, a couple million actually. So therefore that led for me to really begin exploring this whole question uh, about uh, who are the Palestinians and who are the Israelis and what does it mean to be Jewish? And my goodness, I just found out that there are Palestinian Arabs who are Christians and their faith goes all the way back to the first century. And suddenly I found myself in the mix of a remarkable intersection of history and contentious politics and spirituality and religious faith. And all of that merges into one package. And it resulted in my writing a book called Whose Land, Whose Promise, uh, What Christians Are Not Being Told About uh, Israel and the Palestinians. And I, I think for me, it was a chance for me to begin exploring, well, um, what is the untold story about this conflict? 
How is my American understanding, how's it been sanitized? And then who are these people called Palestinians? And I profile them and I tell their story. And, and I, I wanted to make sense of how I should use the Bible as I think about this story, because I, I found that there were evangelicals all over America eager to use the Bible to tell one side of this story. But for me, I wanted to think about the other side of that story and show how um, maybe things aren't as clear as we all once thought. So anyway, this uh, Rob has just been a huge part of my life now, and I'm probably back in that part of the world uh, two times a year, and I've been doing that uh, for probably 25 years. So talk a little bit more then, Gary, about um, some of the obstacles that we face in terms of um, bringing awareness uh, to this conflict here in, in the Western world, Amer in American culture. Yeah, well, um, you know, I think I was naive uh, early on. I, I, you know, here I was. Uh, I, I taught for 25 years at Wheaton College, and uh, that's at the very center of evangelical life, some people think, or at least um, maybe. And then, and then here I was having all of these experiences with Christians who speak Arabic um, in the Middle East, um, and I and I and I didn't really realize that um, there are millions of Christians in the Middle East, uh, from Egypt to Iraq, millions of them, um, who share my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I thought that was incredibly cool news, and so when I came back to the United States and I said to my evangelical community, "Look, there's this great discovery," um, I was absolutely dumbfounded when I discovered how few American Christians had the courage to open this chapter yeah. and to take a close look at it because everything they thought about the Middle East was viewed through the lens of Israel. Well, that's fine. I mean, Israel is a wonderful country and deserves a place in, in history, and, 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 and Israel is completely understandable when you think about what happened in the Holocaust so Israel um, needs to be there for the Jewish people in the Middle East. Um, but there, I wanted to tell an untold part of Israel's story that in order to create the state of Israel, um, it was necessary from the Israeli point of view to displace hundreds of thousands of people. And in order to create the state of Israel, they had to not only displace all of those people, they had to hold them in a, a very, very, mili it's a militarized occupation. So today, Israel, for instance, is holding 4 million people under a stifling occupation. So when I brought that kind of information to the church, to the evangelical church, it was mystifying to see how many people at first wouldn't even believe it could be true. Here I was, a professor at Wheaton College, saying, I've seen this, I've studied this, I've been there, um, and uh, it was impossible for them to digest, because it was almost as if their heartfelt commitment to Israel was so strong, they didn't have any room in their heart to explore yet another set of ideas tied to Christian faith in that part of the world. So, yeah, that... that that has surprised me. That really has surprised me. Um, you discover quickly how many people are willing to have a flexible view of, of, of the Middle East. And uh, when they begin to discover these things, uh, their lives really change. I, 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 I'm sort of skeptical today of standing in front of an audience and, and explaining all of this to them. Because so often people who come to presentations about Israel and Palestine 
um, they have pretty much made up their minds. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you this, if I put 20 people on an airplane and I take them to the Middle East and I place them in a city like Bethlehem or Ramallah uh, or some city that's under occupation and they hang out for two days with Arabic speaking Christians, that experience alone transforms them. So um, the unreality of, of this Israel suddenly goes away and the, the shock of the untold story um, sobers them completely and they come back home different folks. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, the experience, and not only that, but do they have this experience that transforms them, but they get to meet some really incredible people. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. Now, one of the things that happens, of course, Gary, is whenever we begin to speak up on this issue at all, um, immediately there's certain barbs that are thrown our way, right? right. Oh, yeah. well, one of those barbs that's thrown our way is, well, this is anti-Israel. Right. Um, how, right. how do you respond to that? Yeah, it's that's really unfortunate. And that's one of the, the canards that is used when all of these debates uh, go down. So, um, it, it, let me put it. Let me flip the, the question around just a little bit. If, if you, as a uh, patriotic American, were to express dissent about some American policies or some American uh, dip, diplomacy or something in the world, that doesn't make you anti-American. In fact, what it may mean is that you will love America so much you want to make America better than it has been. So the very same thing is true in Israel. So when those of us who respect Israel profoundly and believe Israel deserves a place in the, in the community of nations, when we express criticisms of Israel's domestic policies with Palestinians, that doesn't mean we hate Israel. That means we want Israel to live up to the vision God had for his people that we read about inside of the Old Testament. Commonly, we hear people using the Old Testament um, to legitimize Israel's place in history. But inside of the Old Testament, it also says that if you're going to capitalize on the promises of God in the Old Testament, you have to live up to God's moral expectations for you. That's a theme in the prophets. So therefore, um, I would hope that my listeners now and uh, anyone who reads my books would realize to critique Israel does not mean that you hate Israel. And it doesn't especially mean that you hate Jews, for heaven's sakes. Right. It simply means that you want to bring justice to this part of the world. And that call to justice is a call that needs to be heard by Jews and Arabs, Palestinians and Israelis. Um, but when there is injustice flourishing, you can bet there's going to be war and there's going to be uprisings. And, uh, and I think all of that breaks God's heart. And the ultimate reality is that that's not good for any, anybody at all. So to, to not hold a people accountable for justice, etc., is really not loving them either. Right. No, it's not. No. And no country in the world, no leader in the world is ever above the call to justice. Um, the thing what's really funny to me about in the evangelical church is um, what happens is that when, when, when folks are talking about Israel, they simply go back to Genesis and they, they go back to the first three or four books of the Old Testament and what they want to do is anchor the promises of God on the modern state of Israel. And they jump from those early promises mm -hmm. to Abraham straight to the New Testament. But what they bypass is the prophets. Right. And the prophets understood those promises given to Abraham and his descendants. But the prophets say these are conditional. These are conditional promises. And therefore, if you don't live up to God's standard of righteousness you're going to lose all of the benefits that came with those promises. 
So my hope is that someone who comes to Jerusalem doesn't simply read a psalm expressing delight in the walls of Jerusalem, but somebody who comes to Jerusalem will also read Jeremiah or Isaiah. I imagine, Rob, that if uh, Isaiah uh, flew into Tel Aviv uh, tomorrow and walked through the airport and found himself in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, I think he would, on the one hand, um, be outraged and shocked by the things that he saw, because actually Israel is a secular state. It is right. not a terribly religious state anyway. But I think also it would break his heart to think that the covenant people imagined in the Hebrew Bible had resulted in a state that was not only highly secular, but a state also that wasn't generating the kind of righteousness that God hoped his people would exhibit toward the nations of the world. Let's talk a little bit more about um, some of the Palestinians that, that, we, that we've come to know very well. And um, what, what would you say are some things that, um, if we could be a voice for them right. to the evangelical and to the, to the listeners of this podcast, uh, what are some of the things that, that they've expressed to you in terms of, hey, can you let my brothers and sisters, our, our brothers and sisters right. uh, in America know? Yeah, yeah, that's really true. In my writing, I try to express some of those things uh, in whose land, whose promise. I, that's what I want to do at the end mm -hmm. of the book to tell some of those stories so that people can see their real living people out there. But the one thing that they, they say again and again to us is, um, look, we feel like we're invisible right. to you. That American Christians have such a passion for prophecy and fulfillment and the return of Jews to Israel, um, they don't realize that they have brothers and sisters in Christ who are in places like Nazareth and Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And therefore they ask, come listen to us, discover us. Come When you come to the Holy Land on your tourist trip, um, say to your guide, we want to spend um, considerable time meeting these Christians. And all of that is possible. Mm -hmm. the, for instance, the Christians in Bethlehem will say, um, they see tour buses coming through all right. the time. And they call it the one-hour stop. <laughs> they, they go to the ancient uh, church of the Nativity in Bethlehem where you can see where traditionally Jesus was born. Um, they get off the bus, they go in, they see the, the church on the inside, they rush back to the bus, and then they drive out of town. Mm -hmm. And the, the fact is, is that Bethlehem is a thriving, interesting town. Mm -hmm. It's an Arab town, it's a Palestinian town with quite a few Arabic Christians inside of it. And so they ask, well, why don't you stay for the afternoon or stay for the morning? Why not have lunch in Bethlehem? Why not visit, say, Bethlehem Bible College or some of our institutions here which are taking care of, uh, of the people who live here? What, please recognize us. That's the first thing they say. Don't leave us invisible. The second thing they would say to us is, look, um, in this conflict between Israel and Palestine, the Bible has been weaponized. So therefore, everyone wants to take a hold of the Bible, find their favorite verses, and use that Bible to advance their own political cause in this conflict. And so what they say is, well, no, wait a minute. Let's stand back from that and, and stop using the Bible as a weapon to establish one person's power over another. But instead, let's rediscover the gospel. And let's ask ourselves, if Jesus stepped into this conflict, would he not love the Palestinian just as much as he would love the Israeli? And if that's the case, it changes the equation when it comes to my evangelical passions. 
So Gary, I want to thank you for your time today. Let, let's finish this up by, by kind of asking the question, what, what does someone who's listening to this for the first time and maybe they've heard a little bit of my podcast on, on this topic and they're kind of getting introduced to what's going on, they're just not sure what to do or where to go, what, what would you say to them? Well, I think we all have some responsibility to just educate ourselves so that we actually know what is happening in this part of the world. And frankly, I think the worst place to go is into the internet. Um, the internet, the websites that you'll find out there are so deeply politicized. It's remarkable. And you mm -hmm. never know exactly what you're reading there. So um, stay away from that. <laughs> um, but you can actually, uh, the book that I wrote, Whose Land, Whose Promise, was designed for a person who is having their first experience exploring this. Um, and people tell me that they think it's balanced. Some people think it's unbalanced. Uh, no, matter, no matter what you write. If somebody tells you that their book is perfectly balanced, then you know it probably isn't. <laughs> so the, I've got my critics, but I did my best in order to give you an introduction. Mm -hmm. But if you want something that tells just a narrative, a wonderful story, um, one of the books that was a gateway book for countless thousands has is called Blood Brothers, and it's written by Elias, E-L-I-A-S, Shakur, C-H-A-C-O-U-R. Ilya Shakur is a young Christian who grew up in Galilee, um, and he is a part of an Orthodox community called the Melkite community. He ends up through his life becoming a priest, a bishop, an archbishop. It's an amazing story, but you can see how his own story of loss uh, for his family and conquest um, did not result in bitterness, but it resulted in transformation. He's very honest about what he thinks about how things are going in the Middle East. And so uh, Blood Brothers is a fabulous read. The second thing is, um, is it travel? Um, if, this, if, if the Lord is putting it on your heart to, to step into this, this issue and to explore it, um, go there. Um, but you have to be aware that there is a whole tourist industry that wants to take you there and you're going to have a sanitized experience of this country. So therefore, you want to be very judicious in who you travel with, and, and, and so you'll be able to meet the different communities. You should meet uh, uh, Orthodox Jews, you should meet Messianic Jews, you should meet Muslims, you should meet Arabic-speaking Christians, because then you're going to see the kaleidoscope of, of culture that's in the side of this conflict. If you want to take the next deeper step, there is a conference that happens every even year um, in Bethlehem sponsored by the Christians there. It is called Christ at the Checkpoint. Um, over 500 people come to Bethlehem every May or June of every even year, um, and uh, they find it to be just a remarkable experience, not only hearing speakers for three days, but going on field trips that an average tour is never going to give you. So if those two things happen, that you really do educate yourself and that you do travel with intention, you're going to come away um, a very different person, but then you're going to be like I was so many years ago. You're going to come home and you're going to try to explain this to your friends mm -hmm. and um, you're going to find the very same challenges. Yeah. But that's the nature of our life in this world. We want to be advocates for those who are powerless and we want to be prophetic, calling our world to a better place. Gary, I just want to thank you again so much for your time. You've been so generous. I want to encourage our listeners to get a copy of your book, Whose Land, Whose Promise, as well as Father Shakur's book, Blood Brothers. And for anyone who's interested in taking a trip over to the land, I'm going to be leading a trip in June of 2019. We're going to 
go over and see the, the land itself and the context of Jesus and his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount and the challenge about the kingdom of God and what it means to be peacemakers. And we'll be meeting Israelis and Palestinians, Muslims, Christians, and Jews. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity to meet the people of the land and to, and to really grapple with the teaching of Jesus. So feel free to contact me if you're interested in that trip. And Gary, we just want to thank you again. Thanks, Rob. It's been great. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.